everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, you guys? I'm Haley. And I'm Andrea. And this is Inhuman, a true crime podcast. We just spent the last, like, couple minutes talking about the gnats in Andrea's recording room. (laughs) Yeah, gnats. That's plural because I walked in here and three of them were on the wall and I started taking books and, like, swatting them and smacking them with my hands and then come to find out there was a fourth little fucker flying around. So they're in here, like, getting it in, evidently. I think they are. They're like we we all want to be here for yeah for the recording of the podcast. Yeah. They're yeah, they're all true crime fans. They're just like we can't get enough of it. They told their friends and look at it. Now it's like a fucking concert. <laughs> if this is the first episode that you're listening to, we're not crazy. We're sorry. <laughs> Andrea literally like every single time we record has at least one gnat in yes. the room with her. And while we're on the topic, like. We had a comment, I think I was on our YouTube, about us being giggly. And, like, we are not by any means making fun of, like, the cases or being, you know, insensitive to the cases. Like, we're just trying to, you know, be lighthearted as much as we can. And, you know, we're just, we're goofy people naturally that just yeah. so happen to like true crime. So sometimes, you know, that crosses over, but we we never mean to be disrespectful at all. So, yeah, 100%. Just throw that out there. <laughs> yeah. We're not a full on like investigative true crime podcast. Like right. we're just telling the stories. Um, and like Andrew said, we're just being ourselves and we're weird. So yeah, sorry. we're very weird. You don't like us. Yeah. <laughs> we definitely try to, you know, get the research across and get the cases across and, you know, give respect and dignity to everyone who's involved. But sometimes little things happen and we giggle and laugh and that's just, yeah, it's just life. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That was that anyway, was a good point. Enough of that tangent. <laughs> well, today's case, um, nobody died, so it's Yay! a little bit of a lighter case, I guess. Okay. Awesome. Um, so after the doozy that was last week's case that I did, the mm-hmm. Chris- Christian Andriacchio case, I did yeah. so much freaking research for that case because it's a crazy case, and I had said last week, last Thursday, that I was going to cover a solved case this week. I was like, I need something with conclusion. I need something solved. Yes. Uh, but I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is kind of a conclusion, sort of, okay. but it is certainly not a solved case. Is so. anyone is anyone missing? No, nobody's okay. missing. So no one's missing. No one has been murdered. That already sounds right. like good odds to me. So <laughs> yes. I also decided to cover this because last weekend I went to Disneyland and it was all Halloween themed. I promise this makes sense. I'm not just like (laughs) Disneyland, true crime. Um, So Disneyland was all Halloween themed. So then I started when I was editing my YouTube video from Disneyland, I was listening to like creepy like music to put into the YouTube video, like Halloween music. And I was like, Ooh, I'm ready for spooky season. Like, I want to go all in. So this case is kind of like a spooky, mysterious, like creepy case. Right. Which to me still falls under the category of inhuman because, you know, ghosts, spooky things are inhuman. (laughs) Yes. Um, And the the person that did this was definitely inhuman. Okay. (laughs) Um, So this is obviously different. And I've heard this case a couple times and every freaking time I hear it, it freaks me out so much. I believe I heard it for the first time on Morbid, but I went back to look 
for the episode and I think they like took it down which I was really sad about because that was like the first one that I heard and I'm wondering it was one of their like really early episodes so I'm wondering if maybe they are gonna like redo it or something I don't know but I think I I just wanted to like shout them out because that was the first time I heard it on from their podcast um and then I've heard it a couple other times and it's just so freaking creepy so yeah they took down some of their older stuff just to like revamp it I guess so that's probably right. what it was. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking. Um, but yeah, it freaks me out every single time I hear or think about it. So now I'm going to share it with you guys so we can all be freaked out together. <laughs> Yay. So today I am going to be sharing the story of the Watcher House. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Maria and Derek Broadus were looking to buy a house for their family in New Jersey. They had three young kids in 2014 when they were looking to buy a house, and Maria had grown up in Westfield, New Jersey, which is about 16 miles or 45 minutes southwest of Manhattan in New York, so not too far from the city, um, but kind of, you know, like almost like a suburb. And that's the area, I'm pretty sure that's the area they had currently like were living in and they were just moving to a new house in the area. Um, I don't think they were like moving there from a different city, but that's where they were looking to move. And Derek was the vice president at an insurance company in Manhattan. So he had a pretty good salary and their budget for this house they were looking for was pretty large. They found the perfect home that was just a few blocks away from where Maria grew up, actually, and it was located, its address was 657 Boulevard, and it's not Boulevard Street, it's not like the Boulevard, the street name is Boulevard. Okay. So it's kind of confusing, but... Must be a city thing, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I've never heard something like that. And honestly, I feel like most streets, or at least around here, are like such and sh- such and such street or such right. and such boulevard. Like, no, it's right. just it's just boulevard. Boulevard, like the number yeah. and then boulevard. Okay, exactly. So, in June 2014, just after Derek's 40th birthday, the family purchased this house for 1.3 million dollars. Wow. Yeah, which it's sad. But I live in California, and when I heard that, I was like, okay, yeah, like, uh, that's about and right. I, I kind of felt like that, too, when you said that about, like, New Jersey and, like, being close to New York. I feel like that's probably kind of average for, like, a nice-sized house, you know? Yeah, exactly. Not here, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, I, when am I ever going to be able to afford a house, let alone a $1.3 million house? Maybe one day when our podcast blows up. Yes. Link, link. Wink, wink. wink. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So a little bit of just some background on the town of Westfield or city. I never know whether or not to call it a town or city. I always called places cities until I went to college in Indiana. And then they call everything towns except for like the big cities. That's what we do here. We We say cities for like the actual city, like the big cities. And then towns for everything else. Okay. So, like, I live in Los Angeles City, but I live in... And that's my town. Yeah. I mean, it's it's suburb like suburbia where you live, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I would consider that a town. So and then town. LA is the city. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Also, I'm going to bleep out my town name. Sorry, yeah, guys. I was going to say... triangulate myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Although the town is, like, decent size. But anyway, I, yeah. off topic. <laughs> you never I'm know. Like, I'm like... <laughs> I know. I'm like, and today I'm just like, my mind is going a million miles a minute, I feel like. So, so is I hope mine. that, uh, so okay. Is mine. I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, a little bit of background on the town of Westfield. A lot of people who lived there compared it to the town Mayberry from the Andy Griffith show, if you've seen that. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like basically a super idyllic, like quaint town where neighbors are friendly Westfield's population was made up mostly of families, and its 30,000 residents enjoyed the slow life not far from the city. And at the time the Broadduses were moving there in 2014, it was ranked as America's uh, 30th safest town by Neighborhood Scout, a website. So, you know, it's pretty safe in America. Yeah. 
In 2018, Westfield was ranked by Bloomberg as the 99th richest city in America and the 18th richest in New Jersey. So clearly people in this town had money and the median household income in 2019 that was being reported was almost 160,000. The median income was 160,000. So, you know, this is a wealthy city. Yeah. Town, whatever. One of the residents told a reporter for The Cut, and this is where I got most of my information from. This reporter did like an awesome, a whole story. He like went to the town and talked to talk to the family and other residents and stuff. So I'll have that link down in the show notes. But one of the residents told him that, quote, there's a lot of money and a lot of ego around buying a house. And this resident also said that bidding wars were common in the area and that he'd seen people lose a house by up to $300,000 in those bidding wars, which like, that sounds like what's happening like now during the pandemic. I mean, it's kind of fading out, but like- The Broadduses were very excited to be able to purchase this house and that, you know, they could afford it. It was a nice neighborhood. They were very happy. Now, a little bit of background on 657 Boulevard, the house the Broadduses purchased. Boulevard was deemed by residents as the best street to live on. It was lined with trees and beautiful homes. And this particular home was built in 1905, and it was one of the most beautiful and grandest houses on Boulevard. Wow. It was a six bedroom, three and a half bathroom house, perfectly, you know, perfect for their family of five. So that's all the background I'm going to go through for now. Um, The family purchased the house in June 2014, and they were doing some updates and like renovations before moving in. And Derek and Maria had been at the house during the days, you know, facilitating the contractors coming and the workers coming in to do the renovations. And while they were there, their kids, who were 5, 8, and 10, played inside and outside of the house. Three days after buying the house, Derek had been there all evening painting, and before he left for the night, he checked the mailbox, and inside he found a white envelope addressed to the new owner. And that was in, like, handwritten thick black letters, and then the note inside was typed. And this is where it gets fucking creepy. Oh, no. The letter began, Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. So, like, okay. It was a friendly neighborhood. Maybe a neighbor was leaving a welcome note. Yeah. But nope. No. (laughs) It read, quote, How did you end up here? Did 657 (laughs) Boulevard call to you with its forces within? 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now. And as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. Ew. That's so ominous and so, like... I know something Mm -hmm. you don't know, and it's creepy, and you're going to find out the worst way possible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, like literally creep level 1 million. Like, that's so freaking creepy. Yeah, big time. The letter also identified the family's Honda minivan, their children, and the renovations happening. Ugh, that's creepy. So... The letter said, I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk, Mm. tisk, tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. (laughs) Okay. Is it like the um, monster house? Like the Disney movie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Literally. Yeah. It also said, you have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Do you need Mm -hmm. to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Ew. The blood I requested? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And then the letter also said, I asked the woods to bring me young blood, and it looks like they listened. And so we'll find out a little bit more about that in a second. 
Ew. At the end of the letter, the person wrote, who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. And then it was signed in like cursive font, The Watcher. Okay. That sounds like someone who's mentally ill who maybe used to live in the house and is having some like separation anxiety or like some kind of feelings of I don't know that's really creepy though. yeah so when Derek read this letter he immediately called the cops he actually like went into the house and like made sure he couldn't be seen and then called the cops and when an officer arrived at the house I didn't like write this down exactly but I'm pretty sure the officer literally said something like what the fuck like what is this <laughs> like is this a joke <laughs> Yeah. Um, And the officer was just as baffled as Derek was. Um, But at the time, like, the police couldn't really do anything because it was kind of like, okay, well, you know, lock your doors. And so Derek went home to his old house where they were still living until the renovations were done. And he showed his wife the letter. So that night, Derek and Maria emailed the previous owners of the house, John and Andrea Woods, because of the letter referencing that whoever wrote it had told them to bring young blood. Right. Andrea Woods responded the next morning and told the Broadduses that they did, in fact, get a letter from the Watcher. They got one letter in the 23 years they lived at 657 Boulevard, and it was just a few days before they moved out. And the letter was similar to the one that Derek had gotten the night before, mentioning that the Watcher's family had been observing the house for years. But the Woodses basically thought the letter was a prank and threw it out. Like, they didn't think anything of it. And I don't blame them for that because, like, it's just one letter. You're not really going to think anything of it, you know? In 23 years, yeah. I wouldn't. And you're moving out, like, eh. Yeah. You're like, I'm out of here. Yeah. (laughs) So Andrea Woods and Maria Brodus went to Brodus. I don't know why I said Brodus all of a sudden. Brodus. <laughs> um, they went to the police station later that day, and the police told them not to tell anybody about the letters. Like, don't tell the neighbors about the letters because everybody who lived around them were basically now like potential suspects because True. they didn't know who had sent it. Right. A few days after receiving this letter, the Broadduses went to a neighbor's house for a barbecue that was welcoming them and another new family to the neighborhood. And the entire time they were there, they were monitoring others' behavior to try to, you know, see if anything weird was going on. And they were also, like, keeping their kids close to them because they were freaked out. Yeah. And at this barbecue, Derek was talking to a man who lived two doors down from 657 And he mentioned that the family that lived between them, the Langfords, was, you know, an interesting family. Peggy Langford was in her 90s, and her adult children, who were all in their 60s, lived with her. And from the article from The Cut, quote, he described one of the younger Langfords, Michael, who didn't work and had a beard like like Ernest Hemingway, as kind of a Boo Radley character. So, like, if you don't know, Boo Radley is, like, kind of a creepy, like, like, yeah, like an oddball from To Kill Mockingbird. So, um, you know, he was kind of just saying, like, he's just a little bit, a little bit out there. Okay. So, of course, Derek immediately thought Michael Langford could be the person writing the letters. And the police did bring him in for an interview. And he denied knowing anything. And without any actual evidence, they couldn't really do much more at that point yeah the next two weeks the Broadduses continued their renovations and they were on high alert but they were hoping that this would be the end of this creepy shit and they'd be able to move into their house soon once the renovations were done and one day they were actually showing one of the uh, like a couple that lived on their street some of the renovations they had done and the woman said quote having new young blood in the neighborhood will be nice and of course this really freaked Derek out because like young blood like that's Who not says something. That? Yeah. <laughs> That's so 
Yeah. But again, nothing they could do, like they could watch watch these people, but they, you know, they didn't have any reason to believe that this was like And something. it was an elderly person, right? So like how scared yeah. like I don't know. I guess you could be scared of elderly, some elderly people. Like that one movie. <laughs> What's that movie? The Quiet? No, no, no. Don't breathe with that old guy that's blind. And have you seen that? You don't watch scary movies. Never no, mind. <laughs> I don't watch scary movies. <laughs> yeah. He's like an old guy and he's blind and like these people get, wind up in his house and he like traps them and tortures them. And oh, it's God. Crazy. Anyway, sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> the last scary movie yeah. I watched was in college. I was like hanging out with a friend at her apartment. We watched a scary movie and then she drove me home and I had to like go up to my dorm room alone and like. <laughs> You're like, never again. Nope. <laughs> yeah, literally. So one day Maria was at the house and she checked the mail. And found another letter. Oh, no. So in this letter, the watcher directly addressed the Broadduses, but he did spell their last name wrong. So this kind of made them think that maybe he was someone that was close enough to hear them talking or mm-hmm. hear like, you know, some of the workers addressing them or something, but had never seen their name written out. Right. So and I'm going to basically like read through this second letter right here and So it's like all, you know, a quote from the second letter. Just don't want anybody to like say I plagiarized because it's literally the letter. So just saying. (laughs) So it said, well, welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. (laughs) Have they found what's in the walls yet? In time, they will. Okay. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Ew. No. Mm -hmm. In the walls? No. Will they sleep in the attic, or will you all sleep on the second floor? (laughs) Who is the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me know who is in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. Ew! No, uh, uh. I'd be noping right out of there. Like y'all can take (laughs) this one million, shove it up (laughs) your behind. (laughs) Like I'm out of (laughs) here. It said, there's more. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the Watcher, and I have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on, and and they kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Broadus family. Again, spelled wrong. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. Uh, yeah, so greedy. They want a place to live, a home. Wow. So greedy. Mm-hmm. How dare they? Yeah. so at this point Derek and Maria were clearly terrified and they decided to no longer bring the kids to the house and a third letter came a few weeks after that and this third letter said where have you gone to 657 Boulevard is missing you 657 Boulevard is turning on me it is coming after me I don't understand why what spell did you cast on it it used to be my friend and now it is my enemy I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for the pass, for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let, let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. That's just, that's so peculiar. Yeah. It's like you're personifying a house, which is, I mean, 
I'm not completely against, <laughs> but yeah. you're saying like the house is mad at you. You don't even live there. Like you sound like you need to be patient and go get some mental help because mm -hmm. something's not yeah. connecting up here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there's a lot to dissect here. And at this point, the police, again, couldn't really do much because, you know, other than having these letters, there's not yeah. much. They it can seems go like a hoax. Yeah. Yeah. So the Broadduses decided to take this, you know, make it an investigation, like take it into their own hands. And one initial thought was that the person writing the letters was one of the buyers who had tried to get the house but was like beat out by the Broadduses. Mm. But the Woodses said that one of the interest interested buyers had actually backed out because of a medical diagnosis. And then another one had already found a different home. So that theory seemed very unlikely. Yeah. And what year was this? 2014. Okay. So yeah, they were probably just starting to get like the like outdoor security cameras and stuff like that. Because that would be a good option. Yeah. And another like theory or kind of what they were thinking was that someone who lived in the neighborhood was the person writing the letters. Um, an interesting fact was that the first letter was postmarked two days before the sale was made public. So they thought that maybe it was someone in the neighborhood who like knew the Woodses were selling because, mm -hmm. you know, it hadn't been made public yet and they hadn't put up a for sale sign. So it wasn't like somebody could have driven by and seen it like they would have had to know that the Woodses were selling or maybe they saw them packing or something. Yeah. They also thought that it was someone in the neighborhood because one of the letters and I'm not sure exactly which one, but one of them mentioned an easel. And it mentioned that it saw one of the kids drawing and painting on an easel. But the easel was in the front enclosed porch. And it was hidden mm -hmm. from street view by, like, plants. So the person would have to be able to get, like, close to the house to be able to see it. Or, like, see it from a different angle, not, like, straight on from the street. Okay. Derek was doing everything he could to try to figure out what was happening. He even like set up cameras inside and outside the house and spent nights at the house trying to like see if he could see anybody watching it, but he just couldn't find anything. So the family hired a PI and that PI staked out the neighborhood and he also ran background checks on the Langfords, the family that lived next door. But again, this didn't lead anywhere. Did you just kill another gnat? I did. Sorry. I had to. It's just smushed on my computer <laughs> screen now. I have nothing to get it up with. <laughs> Sorry. I will say when we were having recording issues, when we had like er earlier, when we'd stopped this episode, we were trying to figure it out. And then Andrea goes, oh my God, two gnats are doing it on my computer screen. Ew, Let's don't show me. <laughs> Ew. I got it on a piece of tape. Okay. That's so gross. Rest in peace, fucker. <laughs> okay I'm, I'm being too dramatic with this <laughs> <laughs> no you're not it's fine <laughs> so anyway um the pi all the work he did didn't really lead anywhere so then they hired a former fbi agent um to kind of evaluate the letters and conduct a threat assessment so this guy was named robert lenahan and he started analyzing the letters and he brought up some interesting points from things he observed through the letters. And I think this is super interesting because this reminds me of like Mindhunter where oh, they were like, you know, like, I know. And they're like figuring things out based on how the letters are written and stuff. So that's kind of what I think he was trying to like do that type of thing. So first off, the writer addressed the envelope as M slash M Broadus, which was, you know, still spelled wrong. But that was something that was used like years ago, the M slash M to, you know, I think it's like Mr. and Mrs. But instead of Mr. Oh. and Mrs., it's M slash M. So that yeah. indicated that the writer might be like older. And then from the article on the cut, quote, the letters had a certain literary. Oh, God. How do you say this word? Pan panache? Panache. Panache. I don't, I've never seen that word written out. Like, uh, like, I don't know how to, like. Style, kind of. Yeah. Like, kind of like pizzazz, okay. but like. Panache. Right. I'm panache. pretty sure. Okay. I'll, I'll look it up. I mean, that would make sense in this context, so. Yeah. 
So the letters had a certain literary panache, which suggested a voracious reader and a surprising lack of profanity given the level of anger, which Lenahan thought meant a less macho writer. Maybe, he wondered, the Watcher had seen The Watcher, which was a movie, I think, starring uh, Keanu Reeves as a serial killer who stalks the detective trying to catch him. What? I've never seen this. I don't think I know, me neither. The Watcher. When you said The Watcher, The Watch House, I was like, is that a movie? Because I swear it, it sounded familiar, but I may have heard it on Morbid like you did. Yeah. But yeah, so, so this guy was kind of making, trying to figure things out. And basically, like, came to the conclusion that the letters really seemed to indicate that the Watcher was angry at the wealth in the neighborhood with new money moving into town. And Lenahan didn't think that the writer would actually act on any of the threats that they had made, but he did suggest looking into people who used to live in or work at the house because, you know, he mentioned, like, play around in the halls like I used to and stuff like that. And he said, you know, maybe somebody who used to live or work there was upset that the family was making so many changes. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what came from that. As time went on, though, the only real person of interest in, like, with the police and everything was Michael Langford. The police did, at one point, try to, like, draw him out by having the Broadduses write a letter to the Langfords saying they were planning to tear down the house to, like, hopefully, you know, make him mad if it was him. But, of course, that did not work. And Abby Langford, Michael's sister accused the police of harassing their family. Another reason that the Broadduses and the police thought it could be someone from the Langford family was because their house would have had a viewpoint of the easel that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So, like, where their house was, you could have seen that easel. Like, angled view? Yeah. And eventually, the Broadduses hired a lawyer named Lee Levitt who met with the Langford family and their lawyer and, you know, showed them the letters and explained the, like, easel vantage point. But once again, this did not go anywhere. The police did consider other suspects, but they just didn't have any evidence to go off of. They looked for fingerprints and did do DNA testing, but they didn't find anything usable. And by December 2014, it had been six months since the first letter came and the investigation was basically stalled. It wasn't going to go anywhere. And police at that point told the family that they just couldn't do anything more with what they currently had. They couldn't keep investigating. There was nothing they could do. Yeah. Um, And then at that point, Derek had a priest come bless the house because that was kind of like his last ditch effort for like some sort of peace. At this point, the renovations were done. So the Broadduses, you know, should have been moving in. But obviously, they did not want to put their kids into that house, not knowing where the letters were coming from. So the family, they had sold their previous house because they were planning to move. So they had to move in with Maria's parents because they just did not want to go anywhere near 657 Boulevard. I don't blame them. That's scary. No, me neither. And this was affecting the family a ton, obviously. They were still paying for the mortgage and taxes on the house, and they were also constantly worried, anxious, and depressed. Maria was actually diagnosed with PTSD and began seeing a therapist, while Derek had to get on, like, sleeping medication because he couldn't sleep. That's awful. That's serious. That's that's deep. Yeah. You know, it's not just, uh, somebody's, you know, pulling pranks on us. That's like, we're... Yeah. Really being affected. Yeah. And they also didn't really tell many of their friends about the letters just because they, like, didn't want to spread it more than it needed to be. And their friends, like, because they didn't know what was going on, they started to wonder and they started thinking that maybe the couple was having marital problems and that's what was what was going on. Mm-hmm. So then obviously that affected them, too, because their friends are like, what the heck? What's going on? Yeah. So at this point... Maria and Derek decided that they needed to sell the house. And they initially listed it for a little bit more than the $1.3 million they paid for it because of all the updates that they had done. But of course, there were rumors going around about what was happening. Like, even though they didn't tell anybody about the letters, there were still rumors about, like, why haven't this couple moved in? Like, what is going on? Yeah. So all of the offers that came in were well below asking price. Wow. And... 
they did send a partial disclosure to any interested buyers. And then they said that whoever's offer they accepted, they would show the full letters to. And, you know, being the like good people that they were, they didn't want to entirely keep the letters secret. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's good to dis- disclose that kind of information because, you know, unfortunately it might mean that they might not be able to sell their house, but they don't want a potential, like another family to potentially have the same thing happen to them. Exactly. That was exactly their thoughts. So in June 2015, a year after they bought 657 Boulevard, the Bradises actually filed a legal complaint against the Woodses. And this complaint included some snippets of the letters, and it said that the Woodses should have disclosed the letter that they had received, um, just as you disclose, like, anything physical going on with the house. And in some states, you are required to disclose, like, ghosts or, you know, potential, like, paranormal activity. Um, And I think almost everywhere you're required to disclose if somebody died in the house. Yeah. But not everywhere you're required to disclose, like, paranormal or stuff that wasn't, like, a physical, you know, death. Right. But more than a year after filing this complaint, a judge dismissed the lawsuit since New Jersey did not have any of those laws requiring any type of, like, this disclosure. Yeah. Which I understand. I mean, I agree that the Woodses should have, but also they didn't think anything of it. To them, it was just one letter they got and they threw it away. Like, it wasn't anything... I don't know. I really don't blame the Woodses, and I'm glad that they did dismiss this lawsuit because I don't personally think that the Woodses should have been held responsible for what was happening. If they had like multiple letters, like like these, mm-hmm. this family was getting like from the gate, I would be like, okay, yeah, you guys should have said something. But the fact that they got one like right before they were about to move, like, yeah, I don't really blame them for not being open about that. Exactly. So before this was dismissed, the Broadduses wanted to keep it quiet, you know, right after they filed it, they were kind of trying to like keep it out of the news, let it settle quickly. But a local reporter got their hands on the complaint and the story went viral. Mm. There were suddenly news trucks outside of the house and the family received over 300 media requests and they, you know, declined all of them. But this did lead to Derek and Maria having to explain to their 5, 8, and 10-year-old kids what was going on because they hadn't told them about it because they're 5, 8, and 10. Like, Yeah, no, they shouldn't have had to be forced into that. So with the story's virality, many people were trying to figure out what was going on. And this ranged from, of course, Reddit users to people who lived in Westfield who were now more on edge than ever. Neighbors who lived on Boulevard were also confused how the police were saying that they had done a full exhaustive investigation, considering that none of the neighbors had ever been talked to other than the Langfords. (laughs) So, like, you know, they were kind of like, how could you have done a full investigation? Yeah. Yeah. Which I do agree with. Like, I get that they wanted to keep a lot of the details hushed just because, like, they were all potential suspects. But also, like, you could put some details out there and keep some quiet or at least like go talk to all of them and say like if you have any ideas or any information let us know like you don't have to give them a ton of details yeah because somebody could have saw something if that person was wandering around looking around you know even if they were in their vehicle or walking somebody probably saw you know there's always those nosy neighbors that are like out their window yeah exactly someone walks by or whatever Yeah. A veteran detective at the Westfield Police Department was at this point asked to look into the case, and he agreed with what the neighbors were saying, and he said that the Broadduses did not get the support that they needed from the police in the first year. So he started looking into the case, and he discovered that the DNA testing that the police had done had indicated that the DNA on the envelope was had belonged to a woman. So he was like, okay, that's that's something. So he looked more into Abby Langford, the, you know, the sister that lived yeah. next door. 
and she was actually a real estate agent. So she, you know, he, he was like, oh, maybe she was like upset about the sale or something. So she, he was actually able to get some of her DNA. I think it was like from a water bottle she had discarded or something. Like she didn't give it to him, but he was able to get it. And it did not match with the DNA sample from the letters. Yeah. So shortly after that, Derek and Maria were told that the Langfords had officially been fully ruled out as suspects and they were like shocked. The police didn't exactly explain why, but they were able to like rule them out, which is like, okay, I get it was frustrating for Maria and Derek, but also if the Langfords had nothing to do with it, it would be frustrating for them to still be involved. So I'm glad that the police were able to like come to that conclusion. Yeah. Some theories kind of started popping up about the letters being a scam that was concocted by the Broadduses, either because they had, like, buyer's remorse and wanted to get out of the situation, or because of, like, some fancy plan that they had hatched to defraud the Woods family for millions of dollars, which, like, seriously, people? Wow, that's far-fetched in my opinion these people wouldn't even move in i mean that's a lot of stuff to keep up with you know if that was true yeah and i i mean i just don't believe it and it was perfectly put in the cut article quote to Derek, it seemed that some in westfield preferred the conspiracy theory to considering whether their town might become might be home to a menace so like basically saying Mm. people found it like wanted to believe it was some like hoax and didn't want to believe that something creepy could be happening in their neighborhood yeah which i mean it could be just a hoax i don't think it was a hoax from the family though Mm -hmm. so despite their fear and having no answers the family did decide to stay in westfield not at the house but in the town because they didn't want to uproot their kids lives they purchased another home two years after they bought 657 boulevard And they were able to keep this location private, which, like, thank goodness for them. Yeah, really. Um, But, of course, the family was still on edge living there because they're still in this town that something creepy happened. Yeah. They had taken the house off of the market, but it was put back up for sale in 2016. And at this point, there were many interested buyers. You know, they were hoping that, like, with more media attention after the story got, like, leaked and, you know, went viral, they were hoping maybe somebody would want to buy it. Um, And they, again, allowed all of the potential buyers to read the letters once they were a serious contender and every single one backed out. Everyone. I don't blame them. I do not blame them. Yeah. I even heard somewhere there was one guy that was like, oh, this is ridiculous. Like, I I would never, like, let this stop me. And then he read the letters and they never heard from him again. Like, (laughs) it was people were freaked out. Yeah. The blood and the things in the walls. Like, those are creepy. Mm Mm-hmm things like yeah so the broadest's real estate lawyer suggested that they sell the lot to a developer that could then tear down the house and turn it into like two new homes and this would require the westfield planning board to get involved because the two lots would be slightly smaller than the mandatory size in the city so this Mm -hmm. had to like go through the board and stuff which i do not understand why they couldn't have torn the house down and then built one house but maybe they thought they wouldn't be able to like recoup the investment with that i don't know but yeah like why did it have to be two houses i don't know i don't get that probably for that reason because that's a lot of money yeah that's what i'm thinking so this got a lot of attention from residents in westfield and many were saying that they thought that this proved that the whole thing was a scam and i was like how really like they're not (laughs) going to be making more than what they bought the house for they just want to recoup the money they made like come on people so this hearing happened um and you know it was about whether or not these smaller lot size or this like proposal to have the two lots would be accepted more than a hundred residents showed up to the the hearing for it and it lasted four hours many were arguing about the aesthetics of the neighborhood and how this would kind of change everything on boulevard you know how people get with their in like that type of stuff like it's ridiculous those karens those karens out there yes (laughs) literally so at 11 30 p.m that night the board unanimously rejected the proposal Mm. so they weren't going to be able to sell to a developer finally in 2017 something went in the broadest's favor 
a family who had grown children and they also had two large dogs agreed to rent 657 Boulevard from the Broadduses. And their, the only thing was their rental agreement had a clause that another, if another letter came, they would be able to get out of their lease if they wished. Okay. So like, okay, well, that's fair. They yeah. were like, we'll, we'll live here, but if another letter comes, we want to like be able to get out if we want. Because they're not like buying the house, so this person theoretically would not come for them, you would think. But- yeah. And the rent would help out with the mortgage, but it still wouldn't cover everything. But for the Broadduses, this was still better than nothing. Yeah. So the renters moved in, and two weeks later, later, uh, Derek went to the house to like deal with something, and he was handed a familiar letter oh, by the no. renter. So this was two and a half years after the first letter had arrived. So there was no letter between the second letter and when the renters moved in. Correct. Well, there was a third letter, like, after the second letter. But there was nothing between then, when, like, the renovations were done, to now. Wow. Okay. The letter said, To the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of of a wife, Maria. You wonder who the watcher is? Turn around, idiots. What? What does that mean? Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so-called neighbors who has no idea who the watcher could be. Or maybe you you do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. Like, fucking creepy. Turn around. That would make me, yeah, that would definitely make me think it's like someone, I don't know. They could be throwing, trying to throw their scent off though, you know? Right. So this entire letter was filled with things that showed that the writer had been like following along with the story. So it said, I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighborhood and mocked me. And then it said, I watched as you watched from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions, which is like, oh, really? Dude, this person has some serious mental illness. I know. And it said, 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the Boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the Watcher. (laughs) Okay, guy. (laughs) You're doing too much. I know. It also talked about the ways that the Watchers could get revenge on the family. It said, maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet, loved ones suddenly die, planes and cars and bicycles crash, bones break. Oh my god. So like this one was clearly like This angry. is very threatening. Like, yeah, this is like Yeah. But you didn't want me there. So like what do you want, you know? He wanted the kids there. That's what he wanted. Oh. So um this letter also mentioned the renter, the new renter. And of course, this kind of like freaked him out, but he did agree to stay if the Broadduses installed security cameras all around the house. So like good for him. Yeah. And um, the letter is definitely, this one's like creepier, more threatening, like you said. But this was the last letter that was sent to the house as of the recording of this episode in September of 2021. And the best news of all, on July 1st, 2019, 657 Boulevard was sold to new owners for $959,000. The new owners remained anonymous, and there are some reports of their names, but I see no need to mention them because, like, they don't, you know, no need. Um, And even though this was a financial loss for the Broadduses, it was about a $400,000 loss. They were very happy to finally have it off their hands. Yeah. And then the most recent news on this case, a limited series about this house is being developed for Netflix. Um, According to an NJ.com article that was uh, published in June 2021, quote, in December, in December, Deadline reported that Netflix won a ferocious bidding battle for rights to the story. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of like a it was a highly sought after story. I wonder who they were battling with. Probably just other networks, you know, like NBC and ABC okay. and all them. But Netflix won it, so it is being developed. Naomi Watts and Bobby, hmm, do you know this person? Bobby Kane. Kine- 
Canavale? Canavale? I don't know. Hold on, let me, I want to look him up because I'm curious. I'm really bad with, like, actors, so. Yeah, he's been in a few things. He was, um, oh, he was in, oh, what was he in? He was in Boardwalk Empire? <laughs> I think that's the same guy. Yeah, he was in Boardwalk Empire. Did you ever watch that? No. Oh, it's a good show. It's a really good show. I'll have to watch. Okay. He was like, he was weird in that show, though. <laughs> oh, gosh. He liked to be like um, the sexual asphyxiation. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, so him and Naomi Watts are set to star in this Netflix series, and it's going to be produced by Ryan Murphy and Ian Brennan. So it seems like it's going to be a pretty big series. And I did read somewhere that like along with the rights to just like this series it's also the rights to the Broadus's story so they have actually like they had been approached multiple times um before the house was sold to like do movies and tv shows and stuff and i believe lifetime did put out a movie that was or at least like almost put out a movie and then the Broadus's were like heck no you can't do that so you know they they have been approached before and they never wanted to do it but maybe now that the house has been sold yeah and like they don't own it anymore they're like more comfortable with it i don't know yeah maybe they don't want to piss off the watcher anymore so now that they're not under the house like they not literally under the house but you know like contra- right, contractually right. obligated to the house like they feel safer yeah well that'd be good yeah. hopefully they'll recoup that 400 grand <laughs> I know, I know, right? Yeah. yeah, they deserve it. They deserve it. Yeah, so some reports say that that might be coming out this fall, but we're already in fall, so, like, that might be too soon. I don't know, but we will definitely, like, post on, like, Instagram and stuff if that does come out. So my personal theory is that it is somebody in the neighborhood that lived there or worked there or something and was upset that the house was being renovated and decided to, like, do this crazy, like, Thing and just took it too far i don't know but yeah it's creepy it is the fact that the woods got the letter too makes me think that it's somebody that lived there that's very mentally unstable that for whatever reason is is judging the families based on xyz and that's why the woods didn't yeah. get harassed for 23 years but then this the what is their last names? I'm going to butcher it. Broadduses. The Broadduses, you know, had the young kids and then they were doing the renovation and that was just like super triggering for this person. So. Right. I think that's why they got. Yeah. The... That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. That is the case. Um, I'm going to post photos, of course, on our Instagram, which is at inhuman underscore podcast. And you can also find us on Twitter at the same username. And then we are also on TikTok, which we need to start posting more on, but we're on TikTok at Inhuman Podcast. And then I will also be posting this story on our YouTube and our Facebook, which which are both Inhuman Podcast. And I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on like who the watcher was and on this case and tell me how much it freaked you out because it really freaks me out. Yeah, same curious what you guys's theories are so yeah that is the watcher house um i hope you guys enjoyed this episode i'm sorry that it wasn't a solved case but <laughs> i just i felt the need to cover it so yeah i liked it it was something different something we haven't really done yet so yeah a little bit lighter yeah we will see you guys on thursday and until then keep it human bye